I'm just expecting Charlie Sheen to dial in any moment. Oh my god, that would be awesome. Our ratings would go through the roof. I have the perfect question for Charlie Sheen. Charlie, you're on an island. You get one of the two. Hookers or blow. You only get one. Go. Tell me what it is. That's that's the one question I would ask Charlie Sheen. I'm pretty sure it's blow. That ah. and if you ever punch that fat little kid on two men in the face. <laughs> you know, I feel sorry for that kid because he'll never work again. Yeah, but you, you know, know how much that little that little fucker got paid? You mean how much his parents got paid? Whatever. But, you know, you're going to see him in two years on Entertainment Tonight, you know, being arrested for something. Oh, he's going to end up like that chick from Different Strokes, isn't he? Yeah, Dana Plato. That's it. <laughs> yeah, because he has softcore porn movie with him in it straight to video, and then he's going to end up arrested. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. It's going to be him and Lindsay Lohan in Celebrity Rehab in three or five years. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, he spent the last, what, six years hanging out with Charlie Sheen on a daily basis? Well, you, yes. you're, you're going to learn something from him, right? That's right. One way or the other. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan will be dead by then. Wayne, you just went to a very dark place. <laughs> <laughs> That's not dark. That's hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> Books without Polly. I'm Aaron. This is Wayne. This is Tim. This is Andrew. Is that all of us? Oh, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, so I much more was... Ruby here without Paul. It really is. I know. And, I thought and it was I... going to be Aaron, Tim, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm really enjoying these uh, pancakes this week. This is great. Yeah, you know, it's nice to be able to afford the pancakes when Paul's not here. Uh, you know, it's so... funny. The room is so much roomier, but it doesn't seem as big without the echo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, Paul appears to be the source of all evil and echoes. You know, hopefully we'll be echo-less today. Crummy comic book qualities, quantity going down, echo is going down, <laughs> ballroom is going up. This That's is right. nice. That's right. Yeah. You know, I'm not surprised that Paul is the source of all evil, but the, the echo thing kind of surprises me. Wow. You know, it's just because he repeats everything we say, you know. <laughs> Andrew has been on the show as a regular host. This is what, your second regular host show? It, it is. Fourth appearance, but uh, the second time for, for you to be on the payroll, as it were. And uh, I'm going to have to call you out on something, Andrew. All right. I see what you're up to. Okay. I was talking to Paul this week, and he says, hey, you know, Andrew sent me a note. And when I get into St. Louis, he's going to take me on a tour of microbreweries. I said, huh, really? I'm coming to St. Louis. Andrew didn't invite me on a tour of microbreweries. Hmm. Huh. That's interesting. I see cause... what you're doing there, Andrew. Did you, uh, well, you wait, saw wait, the movie? Tim, Tim, you're coming to St. Louis. I think did, I am. And did you get an invite to go on a tour of microbreweries? Uh, no. Huh. So here's what I see happening. Andrew is trying to liquor up Paul and get in his business. That's what I think is going on here. He is trying to seduce our naive Paul. Paul will never see it coming. 
largely because he'll be facing the other direction. <laughs> he has well, a big roomy room. Now, come on. <laughs> to be fair, seducing uh, Paul is like falling out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. There's not a lot of effort that needs to be uh, expended. But but did you see a roommate? Uh, I did not. Have you seen single white female? Yes. I hate to say it, but but I'm the roommate. I'm I'm the lady who moved in next door. Yeah, I'm out for your spot, Aaron. <laughs> I'm taking your life over. Well, next week it'll be funny books with Andrew and Polly, Tim and Wayne. That has a ring to it. <laughs> with I, an echo. I can be. I, <laughs> I can be honest. I'm excited about uh. I'm excited about Fear the Con. This is this is exciting. Fear the Con's gonna be a blast. Everybody's gonna be there. Well. When I say everybody, I mean everybody on this podcast. Right. Everybody right. that matters. That's right. That's right. Exactly. That's right. So uh, speaking of which, Tim, are you ready? You got your games done? Games are done. I've got to just type up my notes, but all of, all of the handwritten stuff is done. Why does that matter to you, Aaron? You dissed him and you didn't join his game. That's right, a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking questions, Wayne. You don't have to pass judgment. <laughs> I joined his game. I'm just saying. That's right. That's right. Wayne saved the spot for me, and he's a he's one of the people that are hosting this con, Aaron. I'm just, I don't know. Aaron's like, oh, I got a game with ogre teeth. I don't know. <laughs> well, I got my Tim's confused. You got your Tim's confused. <laughs> Listen, you, you podcast you podcast with this Tim, okay? This is this original Tim. Deserves Tim. your loyalty. You know what I'm saying? Tim Rodriguez, Tim Shaw. It's hard to keep you guys separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Princess party, role playing. You know, whatever Tim's running. All you Tims look alike. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. It's fine. We'll be blasting <laughs> now with some hair metal band, and you'll be sad. <laughs> That's right, hair metal. All right. So, so now, Aaron, are you are you prepped? I am mostly prepped. I have got uh, uh, both of my games are probably 75 percent done. I've just got to do some character work and get some stuff, some additional stuff down on paper. But yeah, I'm in a pretty good place. Good. Now, now, to, to clarify, you know, Paula was complaining to me about how he was going to sit around the airport for about two to three hours waiting for someone's flight to get in. Uh-huh. So I, I offered to pick him up. But you are more than welcome. I would like to say it's an hour and twenty minutes. Not two to three hours. It's uh, an yeah. hour and twenty minutes. And I just, you know, need to point out. You're trying to get in Paul's business. <laughs> well, if you want to make it a threesome, come come join us when you get there. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't need your little backhanded invite, Andrew. You know? <laughs> if you can't think about me uh, at the at the at the front end of that invitation, screw you. Is all I'm saying. That's all, all right. I'm saying, Andrew. Fair I enough. think the problem is, Eric. He can tell that you're male. <laughs> if he knows oh. for sure, he's not oh. as interested. <laughs> so. Well. Speaking of which, Andrew, why don't you give us a little he-she update, week two? Week two, we have a conclusion to the he-she update. And uh, I thought about lying about the results of the he-she update, (laughs) because I'm afraid of what this is going to open me up to, especially in light of what we just went through there. Uh, But yeah, it was a dude. (laughs) And how were you able to verify this? Uh, It it was no poofy jacket. It was easy to tell once you just have like a... uh, uh, t-shirt type thing looking at so how do you know it's just not a flat-chested girl no bra all right also heard a slutty flat-chested girl what about a flat-chested girl some hormonal issues uh possibly possibly but i'm gonna have to pull the wayne defense here and say at this point no longer matters no longer interested seems a little anticlimactic 
I'm so sad that it's over. I, we need we need more gender confusion in <laughs> in Missouri. Let's let's crank this shit up. Knowing Andrew as I do, I am certain that he will encounter more gender confusion. I mean, does, right. does it help if the guy still flirted with me when I saw him this time? Awesome. The flirting didn't stop because, cause, you know, I came out. Of the closet. So did he. <laughs> I came out of the store. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, he actually started speaking to me. He was he was walking towards it and stopped and actually started chatting me up. So, oh yeah, it was. Uh, Did he make awkward. you feel tingly down there? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know why it's so great having you on the show? I've always wanted to have a gay friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Wow. thanks. laughs> I can't wait for Fear the Con now. <laughs> Mama jokes and gay jokes. Wayne, you are expanding your horizons. Hey, someone's got to since Paul isn't here. So maybe we should move from the Hishi update to the the recently dead guy update. Yeah, I I was just really saddened this week to find out that Dwayne McDuffie passed away. Um, he is the uh, creator or one of the co-creators of the Milestone universe, responsible for characters like Static and Icon and Rocket and all of those guys. Wrote Justice League last year. He did some of the Justice League Unlimited cartoons. He was the writer for uh, Ben 10 Alien Force for one season. Yeah, he uh, just an immensely talented man, 49 years old, uh, died, I think, of uh, of complications from a heart attack or from heart surgery. I think it was it was. But I just breaks my heart. Uh, just hugely talented guy. You know what the answer to the question of how many funny books hosts didn't know who that was right away is two out of five. <laughs> I I didn't know either. I had to look him up. Oh, three out of five! Wow, <laughs> wow. I you know Dwayne McDuffie is actually somebody we were working on having on the show, and we talked to him a couple of times, and and he's like, yeah, you know, let me get past this little busy period, and and you know, we'll be on, and we're past the busy period now. I think he's past his busy period. That's. I'm really v- very saddened by that. He uh, he wrote a lot of books that I really enjoyed back in the '90s, and uh, I'm just I'm sad to see him go. You know, who's, who, you know who I'm sad to see go from Teen Titans? <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> I was so happy. Damn it. <laughs> well, Teen Titans 92 continued where Red Robin left off in Red Robin 20 with the Titans and Red Robin uh, beating up on calculator clones, which apparently there must have been a sale at uh, you know Circuit City when they were closing because he's got a, about a zillion of these little – ugly bastards that uh, blow up when you cook them. So. Part two of the most mediocre... Mediocre? Wow. Mediocre? Thank you. Part two of the most mediocre awesome. ep- issue of Red Robin ever. Yeah. But, I mean, for a Teen Titans book, it was a decent book. But, yeah, <laughs> if you had compared it to Red Robin, not so much. But, yeah, so, you know, uh, I don't know how to feel about the book. I thought the art was a little bit off in yeah. this issue. Um, I did like a lot of the dialogue between Tim and the rest of the Titans, and I even I even like the the uh, Damien and Tim action that was happening in this book. So everything was was running along smoothly until the end, which the end was basically the Teen Titans uh, and Red Robin decide to join forces again. And so Damien's like, "Well, I let me out of this this uh, gay Boy Scout choir. I I need to uh, go kill some things." And uh, that sucks. 
on the subject of of who they were fighting in this book, you know, I did not care for all the little calculator robots that you know were also doubling as bombs. But that page where they actually get to the more robotic looking robots, you know, with all the red glowy eyes and whatnot, excellent page. I loved that page. I'm really sad that Kid Flash didn't use the Domo Regato Mr. Roboto line. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the person that would have used it. You yeah. know, I, I think largely my problem with, with this story was that the big reveal, you know, about him, uh, Calculator having used Kid Eternity, you know, to get revenge on, on the Titans, just really didn't do much for me because I've never really cared about Kid Eternity. Neither did the Titans. That was such a weird scene. Yeah. He just, like, wandered off one day, and there, nobody, like, tried to locate him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Eh. Yet, yet suddenly Wonder Girl is so torn up about his death. She should be torn up because she's the one that was the leader that went, meh, get eternity. <laughs> so she should. Hey, be she's mad. just like all the readers. Meh, get eternity. <laughs> <laughs> That's no excuse, Wayne. I, I was so happy at the end of this book. You've got Damien being the little snot that he is making me want to just, you know, it's hard to want to strangle a comic book character because they're on paper. But making you just want to strangle him and then. Because nobody likes him, he wanders off back to Gotham, to the only person that can tolerate him, and we get uh, we get Tim back on the Titans. I'm back on the title at this point. If Tim's coming back to it, I'm back on board. See, so you want to slap him? I want I want to hug him and slap a nun together. That's what I want to do with Damien. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. So wonderful. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Tim Drake, and I think he's gonna be it's gonna be good on the Teen Titans. But I feel like that's ground that's been covered and i thought the the damien angle would have been interesting for i don't know more than three issues what did uh, you think about uh tim stopping cassie from killing the robot i thought i thought his reasoning for that was correct you know that if she if she followed through on actually killing a, a killing blow on something that she thought was alive i think that would have affected her ongoing character i love that she called him on it because when i first read it I was like, well, why – if he knew, why did he stop her? But that she actually called him on and said, well, why did you stop me if you knew? And he – they had a reason. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah, no, I know. I, like, I liked it too and I thought it was – that was a good – that was a good story point. You know, that she was ready to go there and, and he stopped her even though he knew what the – that the outcome wasn't going to be a, a, a murder. You know? And I like that they had Tim say you knew before we saw any of the sparks to show that yes, he really did know that he wasn't just uh, – saying he knew after we saw it because it still looked like he had just stabbed him and killed him at that point until he steps back and opens his chest yeah andrew did you read this one uh, i did not oh you did not okay so you missed out i, I ooh, teen titans missed out i don't know if those two terms <laughs> quite are compatible <laughs> together wow yeah i'll admit i only bought it because it was part two of the red robin crossover and even though the red robin crossover was pretty mediocre at best i still wanted the the second part of it yeah and then i get i get the uh, the wonderful gift of damian wayne being kicked off the team and tim joining he didn't it's get great. kicked off the team damian left of his own accord that's right. yeah but they didn't want him there this is true <laughs> he knew uh, where he I wasn't wanted and he left he was kicked off <laughs> and it makes me happy is tim gonna have a a good costume for the te- his teen titans day or is he still wearing the same uh, horrible one he's still wearing that same horrible red robin outfit did he learn anything in the Unterverse? Apparently not. You know, and the bad thing is, this Red Robin outfit he's wearing isn't as bad as when the series started. This is his redesign. 
it's as horrible. bad as this is, this is the redesign. That's awful. Yeah, it is pretty awful. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andrew, you missed out on Teen Titans 92, and I can tell you, you also missed out on Ultimate Comics number three. Uh, I believe you. Yeah, you did. You missed out. Wayne, tell him what he missed. Oh, this book <laughs> is so wonderful. I, I love Reed Richards as a villain. It is, uh, it's just so fitting. Yeah. I mean, the character has always been so disconnected from the world to actually have him as a villain is great. I love how the book opens up with all the damage that he's wrought through this series. You know, it starts off with, you know, Castle Doomstadt, and it shows, you know, it in rubbles and does the body count, has the Baxter building showing it in rubble and the body count, Stark Industries, the rubble, the body count. I mean, it just goes on and on. And I mean, this is panel after panel after panel of what Reed Richards has done to the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, I love the fun facts they give. Yeah. Especially Spider-Man's. The fun fact, you know, Peter Parker will this, this, this. Oh, and he's Spider-Man. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I found interesting on that one is, you know, it's a home of Peter Parker and it shows, you know, fun fact. Peter's uh, father was one of the leading geneticists in the country before his death years ago. Fun future fact. Next year, Peter will take his standardized IQ test. He will get a 145. He is Spider-Man. And I kept waiting for the next fun fact. Spider-Man is dead, <laughs> you know, because we've got the death of Spider-Man going on elsewhere in the Ultimate Universe. So it would have been interesting if, had they had they tipped that off as well. Personally, what I'm hoping out of the whole death of Spider-Man, I'd love to see a Spider-Girl, Spider-Woman, whatever you want to call her, mm-hmm. a Ultimate Jessica Drew title. Yeah. I love that character. I love their interactions together. Yeah, and she had a, a, a she and Spider Man had a really good moment in this book when she was willing to let Doctor Octopus die, and you know he turns to her and you know says that's not who we are, that's not what we do, and makes her help him save Doctor Octopus. No one dies when Spider Man's around, right? Ah, uh, you're you're yeah. you're you're getting ahead of yourself, pal. You're getting ahead. Oh, of sorry, yourself. sorry. <laughs> I have to, there there does still seem to be the awkward tension between the two that it makes you wonder: is he going to kiss his clone? Because oh, that's just weird. Oh, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot. I mean, I would do it, but still, it's just weird. Says Mr. <laughs> Hishi over there. <laughs> so um, in the book, we see Sue Storm emerge as kind of a badass. You know, she she is able to save everybody from the, uh, the explosion at the Triskelion and, you know, is taking the position as lead scientist and super scientist, really filling the shoes that Reed Richards has left in terms of uh, that superhero team. You know, and that's something we always see when Reed is gone, when Reed is temporarily dead, when whatever, Sue steps up and becomes a real badass. Yeah. She's a she's smart. She's a good fighter. Why can't we see her do that when Reed's still alive somewhere or when Reed's not a bad guy? This is a personal pet peeve. She's a wonderful character that every writer I've ever seen puts her in the background the moment Reed's back in the story. Yeah, it's this book is just fantastic. And, you know, we get to see on the very last page that it will be concluded in issue four. I, I This is one of the best Ultimate books I've ever read. And I've, you know, I, the original Ultimate books when we had the Ultimates, etc., was uh, were really good. I, I loved those original Mark Millar stories. But, you know, the Ultimate Universe has kind of had that that little middle slump in the middle, and particularly around Ultimatum. Uh, but this book is so good. I just I'm thoroughly enjoying Ultimate Doom. 
Yeah, I'm really curious what they have planned for the Ultimate Universe after this, because most of the Ultimate Universe is gone by now. I mean, there's no X-Men title. Well, there is an X title, but it's not X-Men. Well, my hope for the ending is that Reed Richards remains as a villain in the Ultimate Universe, that he is Doctor Doom in the Ultimate Universe, that, that they don't solve the problem, that they don't kill Reed Richards. I want him to remain a villain. Because he is such a fantastic villain. That's my hope. I hope that they just, you know, don't kill him off or something like that. I really want him to be the big bad in the Ultimate Universe. So, awesome book. I I, I think it's just just a fantastic book. And talking about Ultimate Villains, uh, maybe we should go from Doctor Doom to Max Lord. Well, and, you know, we do get the origin story of uh, Max Lord in Justice League Generation Lost number 20. I loved his origin story in this book. It was very believable. It didn't require, you know, a a, a radioactive spider. It didn't require um, him being rocketed to Earth from somewhere. It only required a mother pushing her son. You know, like what do they what do they call those uh, those moms? Monster moms? <laughs> when they when they keep pushing their kids, that's what Max Lord has. Are you talking about pushing him downstairs or like pushing him <laughs> in achieving? Yeah, pushing in achieving. him in achieving. Oh, because down the stairs would have been actually, I think, maybe a better story. <laughs> you know, she she's she from a very early age, you know, told him that he's got to plan everything he does. You know, that he had he, he was uh, you know the son of a was he Arthur Lord. He worked in business affairs at a major chemical corporation. So that was uh, Max Lord's father. And so Max comes home. His father was about to uh, whistleblow on his company. You know, letting him know that they're doing performing, you know, illegal experiments, that kind of thing. And somebody had uh, staged a suicide of Max's father. So you get this nice big page after where you know his mom's telling him that you know your father didn't kill himself. You know they killed him. Those bastards he worked for, those kings on high in their corporate whorehouse. He was going to do what was right and turn them in, show everyone what scum they really are. You learn from this. You learn. Powerful people are not to be underestimated. If you're going after people like that, plan every step. Every step. And that message she keeps hammering at him uh, throughout his childhood and young adulthood. Wow. I love that he discovered his father while he was trying to sneak in the house with a girl. <laughs> I thought that was a good touch. I love how we're, they're playing in and out of DC history. Yeah. So you see how he reacted to Coast City. Yeah. That Doomsday was a force of nature, and okay, he understands that Coast City was something that he just was blaming them for, blaming the superpower beings for. Well, and Coast City was where his mom lived, and so his mom died in Coast City, and I thought that was a that was a very nice touch and a good motivator for why you know Max has become the man that he is. Yeah, it was something had to push him over from the man that he was, which was basically a good guy, and push him that extra step. Having his mother die to superpowered beings in Coast City, that's enough to do it. Well, and there's this great scene, you know, when, when we're talking about Coast City in the book, between him and Booster. And, you know, uh, Max says, it really makes me sick when it happens just because of you people. I get it when it's unavoidable. Hell, when Doomsday ripped a scar across the country until Soups punched his ticket. How many died? 40,000? Awful, but I get that. And he goes on to, you know, kind of rack up the body count and say, you know, when you guys show up, it makes something else terrible happen. You know, uh, I, I, I think this 
in terms of origin stories and explaining Max's motivation throughout this entire series, this did a wonderful job of doing that. See, I also never knew when he got his powers. I don't know if that was ever actually told on the pages of the comics, but because I always thought he just always had them and kept them a secret. It was nice to actually see when he got them and how that helped change his life. Again, I'm just I'm just a big fan of this series. I still don't think Blue Beetle's dead. No, I don't either. In fact, we've had the body for two issues. He's not dead. Okay, and look on. Okay, you see the page where uh, Max Lord is standing over Beetle. That doesn't look like blood to me. That looks like motor oil. That's my thing too. It doesn't. I'm not convinced we've seen blood. I think that's some kind of uh, lubricant or something from the from the suit. I don't think that's got anything to do with uh, with Beetle's blood. Now, what would be truly interesting is if the Beetle was dead, if the alien suit was dead, but the guy inside turns out to still be alive. I'd be cool with that. Same here. So, so how many how many pages in this book were were in present time that weren't flashbacky? Um, probably roughly half of the book. And ooh, yeah, that is a long time to go without resolving whether he's actually dead or not. Yeah. But you know, in reading the book, didn't bother me. You know, I the uh, the pacing of it, you know, between this this book and when Beetle got shot, has not bothered me at all. I mean, has it bothered you, Wayne? No, but I don't like that Beetle so. <laughs> you're so hateful. <laughs> First, you're calling out a hit on Lindsay Lohan, and now you're advocating the vicious murder of Blue Beetle. What is wrong with you, Wayne? Spiteful dick. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dude I, who woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Hey, if I'm going to read a Blue Beetle story, I want it to either be Ted Cord or Dan Garrick. I don't like that's, a new guy. That's fair. What about a Lindsay Lohan story? Clearly, Wayne is a spiteful dick, and I think that's one of the supporting cast of issue two of Powder Man and Iron First. If if there was a villain in here named Spiteful Dick, he would be awesome, because Fred Van Linte can really rock out the bad guys. Yes, uh, he can. So this is issue two of five uh, of Power Man and Iron First. And I get Iron First. God, now I'm doing it. <laughs> Power Man and Iron Fist. And I got to tell you, those are the two least interesting people in this book. Uh, you know, Danny Rand's really kind of a cardboard cutout so far. Uh, Victor Alvarez is just a whole lot of stereotypes put into a bag and sewn up. And uh, but but, you know, last week we had our, our last issue. We had Dawn of the Dead. This issue, we get more into the Commedia del Morte, uh, which is a, a group of uh, European assassins featuring Pagliacci, La Signora Pantalone and Mr. Punch. And they are they are hysterical. <laughs> And uh, so, do yeah. we have any 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 great quotes like "I killed your face"? Uh, you know, Pagliacci has a long, long uh, soliloquy in here, uh, which I, I wouldn't go into. There, but it's it's good, it's good. And it turns out they're they've come here because they're searching for his lost wife. Apparently, Crime Buster took her hostage uh, and escaped from Europe with her, and and so that's why they've come to America and are out rousting people in the streets and killing them as they torturing them for information. But, uh, you know, I'd say the book's so-so. The part about the villain stuff is great. Anytime Power Man's on the page, I kind of zone out. Oh, maybe this has been going on for a long time, but this is the first I've ever heard of it. Power Man, Victor Alvarez, is apparently attending the Allison Blair School for the Performing Arts. Really? <laughs> really? Dazzler's got a school? <laughs> In New York. Nice. And there's a big, oh, I don't know, it looks like maybe 20-foot-tall statue of her. And their mascot, guess what their mascot is? Well, there's a big banner in one of these these panels. And oh, it says, it go, go Dazzlers. 
Tazlets. <laughs> um, is she actually in the book? No. Well, her statues, uh, I, but no. I, I might have bought it if she was in the book just to see that. Well, we got three more issues, Lane. You know, hold on, hold, keep your fingers crossed. Maybe she'll <laughs> she'll show up. But uh, but yeah, the villains in this book is really what makes it worth reading. Uh, the heroes have have not really held my interest much. Is the Dazzler School of Performing Arts right next door to the Matt Murdock Driving School? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> it's the Matt in Murdock this... School of Defensive Driving. <laughs> in this in this panel, you see the front of the school. You can't really see what's next to it, but there is a car that looks like it's swerving towards some pedestrians on the side of the street. So maybe mm. it's just another comic pro tip, though. The the people on on your title should not be the least interesting characters in the book. Just yeah, no, just absolutely. Saying. It's yeah, I'm really disappointed uh, uh, in the heroes because I really like Iron Fist. I. Yeah, I don't really give a flip about the new Power Man, but I've always been an Iron Fist fan. So, did you read the uh, Brubaker uh, Iron Fist book? Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, I picked it up in trade. It was it was excellent. I really uh, I really enjoyed it. So, are you in for number three? You know, I am, but only because it's a two ninety nine book, and there's only going to be five of them. I, I'm in enough to, for the villains to spend another three dollars on it. Oh, there is one good. There is one good thing. Danny, Dan, there here's a good land for you. Danny Rand shows up to see uh, the Penance Corporation that that Mayor Jameson has subcontracted out. You know the prison duties, uh, and uh, they get up there and they're talking about how they're trying to recruit a new board of directors since crime uh, member for the board since Crime Buster was killed. And right. Danny Rand's like, I'm busy, and they're like, Yeah, you're also broke. We weren't really interested in you. <laughs> hey, can you put in a good word with Luke Cage for us? Nice. <laughs> so nice. I did enjoy that. But uh, how was how was Fantastic Four fifty eight? I mean five fifty eight. Certainly they probably did a better job with the heroes in their book than than Power Man and Iron Fist. Or, or five eighty eight even. <laughs> or or eight fifty eight. Yeah. Know what I, I mean, say? Five, you, uh, uh, you're, Andrew, not so good with numbers. Words hurt. <laughs> uh, Fantastic Four, issue 588, the final issue of this title, uh, following up from the, uh, air quotes here, <laughs> of the death of the Human Torch, this is the month of mourning issue. And so, you know, the whole book is, is you know, the heroes mourning the loss of Johnny Storm. And when, oh, sorry. without a single word of dialogue in the main story. Except for the last page. Except for the last page. You know what? I enjoyed this. As angry as I was about the non-death that was 87, this one was actually kind of touching in most places. There were some things that bothered me, seeing Reed go through, open the door, go through into the negative zone, and have this stupid little annihilus creature holding up the a ripped Fantastic Four shirt. Still, no reason to think he's dead. You know, they still have done nothing to show that he's dead. But I like the... Uh, the glances that Sue's giving Namor, the the kind of I'm really pissed off at you glance. Uh, I'm behind on what's going on in Doom or in uh, Latveria, so I don't know what Kristoff has going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a little out of date on that myself, and I was I I really didn't understand what was going on there. You know, the coronation of Kristoff versus you know Doom standing in the background, but uh, I found the art to be a little uneven in the book. Yeah. Um, it's a different artist than than what we had on the main book. But that said, I thought the art worked amazing on certain pages. 
So I like, love the page where we see Sue's reaction. Yeah, the, the, the it opens. You, you get Sue walks in shortly after the Avengers arrive. You know, after uh, the last page of the of the previous book, and she walks in, sees it. You know, collapses, and then it fasts forward to the third day. And she is just sitting alone in a room. Reed comes in to console her, and she throws up a, a force field between herself and Reed because she just wants to be left alone. You know, yeah. it's, and you know, there's no words on the page, but the direction in the story, you know, the visuals tell you the entire story. And you know, I said that the art's a little uneven. Um, some of the pages just aren't as crisp as you would expect from a Fantastic Four story. But some of the pages have so much emotion on them uh, that I found them really moving. Now, the page, the, the pages that I felt like worked the least were probably designed to be the most uh, powerful. And that was when Reed goes to get the ultimate nullifier out of storage, you know, which, of course, is the weapon that's strong enough to annihilate even Galactus himself. And so he pulls it out of storage, goes and opens up the door to the negative zone, and there's Annihilus. Now, the Annihilus that they draw here is he, – he looks tiny. You know, he, yeah, he's not – That's why I refer to him as Annihilus creature because I'm not sure that that's supposed to even be Annihilus because he's so small. I think it's supposed to be Annihilus, but boy, he uh, he's just so small. I, maybe it's a minion or something, but he sure is wearing everything else that Annihilus usually wears. You know, and I don't know why Reed would threaten – Somebody with the you know the ultimate nullifier requires that the user sacrifice himself, right? It also requires if you're going to threaten someone with it that that person knows what it is. Well, true, <laughs> true. So was what was Reed looking at Annihilus through like like through the portal? Yes. Do you think there's some sort of dilation of effect, or does he go through? No, no. They he both pops stand his he pops his hand and head through with the device, right? Okay, I wonder if there's some sort of dilation effect making Annihilus look tiny. Oh, could be. On the other side. But that was th- those pages. I just don't think worked as well because of that. Annihilus just doesn't didn't, does not look very scary. You know, he doesn't. And I thought Reed's facial ex- expressions were horrible. Yeah, I agree. Like in one case, he looks like a snake about to dislocate his jaw and swallow <laughs> the little creature. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, that just doesn't work well at all. But if you fast forward, there is this terrific page terrific two pages on day 20 when Val is with all the kids in the academy and you know she's got up there on the chalkboard and it says to-do list find potential replacements and she lists She-Hulk, Storm, Black Panther, Wyatt Wingfoot, Alex Power, Luke Cage, Iron Fist and then she erases the board and writes up there to-do list kill Annihilus. I think and the look on her face is oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean it is an awesome page to see all these kids you know, and how dark they're willing to go. You know, my only complaint about that page is the panel right above that one, uh-huh. where you've got all those kids. We've got the two blonde-haired boys. Yeah, right next have, to each other. Yeah, and you ha- I have no idea which one's which. One of them has a shocked look on his face. The other has this look of determination, like, you know, yeah, let's do it. Well, yeah, And I don't know which is supposed to be which. I had to go back and look at how they were drawing Franklin because I had the same problem. And Franklin's the one up over his left because he's got like that, that, head, that little curly piece of hair, you know, like a cowlick almost up front. And the other kid is like the mad thinkers Al- kid or whoever he is. I thought it was Alex Powers. Whoever he is. He's not Franklin. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> the kid in the foreground is not Franklin. 
Um, I thought he was the kid, not uh, the Mad Thinker, but uh, the Wizard's son. That Never had be. that issue where the Wizard's son came on. I thought I think that's who he is. But to your point, it's difficult to tell who these kids are. You know, I enjoyed that we also got a chance to see, you know, Thor and Hulk show up. Yes. To let Thing just get his aggression out. Yeah. Well, and that, there's that one page, and I, I recognize that that's Donald Blake because you know he's holding the the the, the cane. But I'm like, who's the guy standing next to him? Who's the guy in the glasses? I, I did not make the connection that that was the Hulk, that that was Bruce Banner until he turned into the Hulk. Yeah, I didn't make the connection that that's who either of them were until then, until uh, they started fighting. Um, now again, artwork being a little uneven. You know, you had these great pages with the thing just wailing on Thor and the Hulk, and you know they're just kind of letting him punch himself out. You know. He needs to get out his frustrations. Let him hit you. These guys can take it. But there's that one page where the thing looks up and his his head is just drawn very misshapen. You know, it, it's it's like all of a sudden he has no jaw. And you know, it's it's when uh, Bruce and and Don Blake show him the little you know hologram image of the Human Torch. Yeah, and I still don't get what that was supposed to what that was about. I, I think I think all that was there to show you is that that's who they were talking about, and I agree. Why organically? Why would I? I was going, hey, look, here's a picture of your dead buddy. <laughs> you know, that's really not the move I would make if I was trying to console somebody. You know, hey, let us give you this little hologram of your dead friend. No, yeah, Aaron, Aaron would have made the uh, Human Torch snuffed out joke to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he would have done. <laughs> Yeah, but I love that. You just see Hulk standing there with Thing pounding on his chest. Because Hulk and Thor are both just out of Thing's power league at this point. Yeah. And he's just standing there letting him do it and then until he just collapses and then they're hugging him. Yeah. No, that that is pretty awesome. That is a really nice scene. I mean, you just see the you know, the Hulk just standing there, just taking I mean, just punch after punch after punch and then holding his friend. The writing on the book, even though there aren't any words, but you know, I know they scripted it out to you know tell the artist this is what each page should look like, is wonderful. And for the most part, the storytelling power of the artwork is right on. There are just some panels that don't work for me. The book ends with Reed sitting in his lap, uh, lab, not his lap, um, his lab on, <laughs> uh, at the end of the month, and he's got this list and he's running threat levels. And so the list has you know invasion from the negative zone, threat level high. Invasion from Universal Inhumans, threat level high. Celestial Invasion via the bridge, medium. Franklin Power Set, threat level high. Galactus Destruction of Earth, threat level high. Reformation of the Council, necessary. And then Portal opens up right in front of him, in front of him and out comes his dad. <laughs> and, you know, those are the only words that are spoken. You know, Reed says, my God. And his father comes through and says, hello, son, I'm home. Into the what? <laughs> but there is a really nice backup feature to this book as well that has Spider-Man talking to Franklin, you know, the, the son of, of Reed and Sue, about having lost his uncle. And if you read the previews in the back of any of the Marvel books, you've seen the first few pages of this. Mm -hmm. Reading that, I thought it was going to come off as kind of corny and not impressive at all. It's like, other than being, you know, being best friends with the torch, why would he come for Franklin mm -hmm. until they actually start talking? Exactly. And they have the conversation. He's like, you know, I lost an uncle too. At that point when I'm reading, it's like, wow, okay, this makes more sense. Yeah. It made a lot more sense than, you know, cause when you're looking at the solicits, you're like, 
why is Spider-Man seeking out Franklin? You know, have they ever even had a conversation? <laughs> you know, so I thought it worked really well, and I, I think that the backup feature matched nicely to the main feature. Yeah, and I love that conversation about. Uh, I think I could have stopped my uncle from dying. Yeah, and then Peter's reply back of, "I know I could have." Right. Yeah, it's a nice story. It's a nice story. Hickman really understands these characters. Um, he he he's really hit the emotion very well on this issue without feeling you know too heavy handed. I think. You know, I, I still don't believe that the that the Human Torch is dead, but. Uh, you know, I, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief that his family and friends believe that he's dead. I thought it, I thought the I thought the story was very nice. So, are you on board for FF? Yeah, I am. I hate the costumes. You know, we see some preview artwork in the back of the book, and we've seen it in some of the other Marvel books this month. You know, with designing the future by Marco Georgievic, and I love Marco Georgievic, but I hate these white suits they've got the Fantastic Four in. Well, you know, you hate I don't the white suits. I don't hate all of them. I hate things and I hate Spider-Mans, but yeah. I'm perfectly cool with Reed and Sue's. Ugh, hate them. Yeah, I could see things is pretty bad, but but why do you hate the white, Aaron? It, they just look stupid to me. I just I I, I, ugh. I mean, Sue Storms <laughs> is almost identical to what she's wearing now, except it's white. Well, no, she's got you know the little hexagons on there, you know, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. Yeah. And, you know, you've got all the little striping and whatnot. It almost, if it, the only thing that keeps it from looking like a Tron suit is that it doesn't glow. It, uh, it is skin tight, though, right? It is. And I, I support mm. this on Sue Storm. You know, I understand that they're, that they're breaking away from, you know, what the, the, the Fantastic Four look. You know, they're, they're rebranding and what have you. Um, I just don't care for the new suits. Yeah, and seriously, why would Spider-Man wear a new suit? Yeah. How many well, because is he odd? And he doesn't wear a new suit for any of those. Well, that, this is why, because you know he's got to start billing separately his time to these different <laughs> accounts, and so to help distinguish when he's billing each account, the Avengers account, the Fantastic Four account, he he's switching in out of suits now. So it's an accounting issue. Absolutely, I think the Future Foundation people uh, insisted on it. You know, I'd like to see more references to some of these characters being on all of these teams. We saw in X-Force a couple weeks ago, Wolverine actually made a comment. Why did you call me during my Avengers time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Wolverine had that great line in one of the early new Avengers of, my, my mutant power must be multitasking. Well, they asked him about that. Uh, we've seen the ad that says, you know, make sure to be at your local participating comic shop on March 23rd for the welcome to the FF ce- celebration. I wonder if they're actually planning on, on doing something other than just releasing a book that day. I think my place might put out a bowl of peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. There was another funeral in the uh, Marvel Universe this week. This was just the week of death for comics. Seriously. Blue Beetle, Fantastic Four, and Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, and Marvel decided that they would do much of it the same in both of their books. Uh, in Amazing Spider-Man 655, we see a lot of that whole not talking going on in the in the first half of this book. You know, when it, I read Amazing Spider-Man right after I read Fantastic Four, and I was like, "Now wait a minute," <laughs> you know, didn't anybody <laughs> didn't anybody say, "Hey, we're releasing funeral stories," you know, on the same week? And uh, oh, these two kind of look a lot alike. Now, Amazing Spider-Man does take a hard turn, um, uh, a hard turn later in the in the story, you know, and has bunches of dialogue. But right there in the in the in the first half of this book, there is no dialogue in the book. 
Yeah, and I didn't I didn't read the Fantastic Four funeral, but uh, I loved I loved the beginning funeral sequence with the, the silent mourning. I mean, J. Jonah Jameson's face throughout this is is unbelievably well drawn. And that picture of him, uh, it's about over half a page of staying above her casket when it's in the ground. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just shocking. You know, I don't know what was more chilling, that page or that first one with him in bed and the other side of the bed empty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was – it was just so powerful. I mean, uh, the art direction uh, on this first half of this issue was, was, was great. Very powerful. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, despite my criticism that the – style is very similar to what happened over in Fantastic Four. I thought the pages worked fantastic. Uh, and and just like you were saying, that scene with, with Jonah waking up in bed and just very precisely on his side of the bed and Marla's side of the bed being untouched, you know, it, it's, you you sense the loss, you know, you sense the, the huge change that's occurred. Him standing in the bathroom at the, you know, the double sinks, and him, you know, you can definitely see where Marla's was because, you know, she's got the the flowers over there and all the, you know, the the beauty uh, items. And, you know, he's just over there shaving over at his very Spartan side of the sink. I, I, I think Dan Slott did a, did a masterful job writing this. And the artwork by uh, uh, Marcos Martin does a fantastic job drawing this book. But then you have a very sharp change from after the funeral – Moves into something that's a little bit more abstract and, and reminds me a lot of some of Steve Ditko's art uh, from early on in the series, um, in which you know Peter's dreaming and having these very just these are the people who have been responsible for their death kind of nightmares. I picked the book up in the store and I flipped through. I'm looking at the art. The art was all good. Then I get to about halfway through, and this art is a huge throwback as I'm looking through it. Yeah, and. I'm realizing pretty quickly that this is a dream sequence, and it's after a funeral. So I come to the conclusion this is probably a good jumping-on point. Yeah, and I think it was. I mean, I'm on board for the next part of the storyline. If the next issue is just as good as this one, I'll keep going on the title, and I'll finally have come back to Spider-Man. But knowing my luck, as soon as I do that, they'll put an artist I hate on again. <laughs> <laughs> so he's in that scene where he's seeing all these people that he, you know, he's he's seen die and he feels responsible for. So you've got, you know, Captain Stacy and the Scarlet Spider and Gwen Stacy, and right there is the Spider Bug Dune Buggy. Yeah, I love that scene. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, you're responsible for that dying too. Jerk. <laughs> Yeah, that was a very M.C. Escher-esque uh, two-page spread. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the appearance of the spider buggy. The one thing being, returning to the title now, I have no idea who Wolverine's friend is. The When he says, uh, I'm Wolverine, when she says, I'm Wolverine's friend, the woman you killed. Yeah. And he, t- he talks about that being the only person he chose to kill. I see that that should have huge impact. But I didn't read that story. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I don't either. I don't. I don't have a clue who she is. Uh, neither why, do I. Why couldn't Spider Ham show up in that two-page spread? <laughs> <laughs> Peter Porker. Yeah, you're responsible <laughs> for my lagging sales. I. I like that when Gwen Stacy is talking to him, she's got a broken neck. <laughs> yeah, it was. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have seen that in comics so many times. And every time it's still creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a disturbing look. 
Well, and I also like the dialogue about you know Marla's like, well, you'll see me again. And he goes, well, you're dead. Why would I see you again? Well, because I'm also a super villain. I used to make spider slayers, so villains come back. You'll see me again. He's like, no, but you're you're a good person. I know that. Oh, then I guess I'm really gone. You know, I like yeah. they kind of address that villains always come back. It's it's the good supporting cast that you uh, you never get to see again. I love the reference to Punisher killing Stiltman because that, yeah, that was that good. happened in that first storyline when they brought Punisher back. Punisher killed Stiltman and they've never mentioned anything about it in Spider-Man as far as I know. Last page. Andrew alluded to this earlier. Peter stands on top of, of a building. And he says, you know, whenever I'm around, wherever I am, no one dies. And Which, then the next you know, page, somebody gets shot. Yeah, come on! <laughs> That's such a good guy, <laughs> You know, I know he's going through a traumatic period, but this seems like a somewhat unreasonable conclusion to come to. I would think so as well. Oh, I think it's a completely reasonable conclusion for him to come to. And then we're going to deal with next issue, someone's going to die right in front of him. It's got to happen. <laughs> well, you see, I think what you do in that situation is that when you walk into, oh, you know, this is this is pretty dicey. People are going to die here. Got to go. Can't do this. People don't die when I'm around. I'm out of here. <laughs> Ergo, if someone died, I am not here. Yeah, out. <laughs> this looks like a dicey situation. You guys should call the Avengers. <laughs> oh, oh wait, wait, I am an Avenger. You should call the other Avengers. <laughs> oh yeah. wait, I'm in. A, call the Secret Avengers. <laughs> oh wait, they're secret. But call yeah. the Future Foundation. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> call the X Men. Oh, uh, uh, call the Heroes for Hire. I'm out. <laughs> call okay. the new Power Man. I hear he's free. So, <laughs> Wayne, you're back in on Amazing Spider Man. I'm back in for at least the next part of this storyline. This was uh, part one of two, so I'm going to get the part two, because this really was – it was a good jumping on point, but it is no indicator of what the series is like at all, mm-hmm. because it's a special issue. It's half dream. It's half funeral. So I'll see the next part of the storyline, but if the art's this consistent, if the writing's this good, I'm on for good. Very well, exciting. Until they put another horrible ri- artist say, on that. Until Wayne's <laughs> kryptonite and Berto Ramo shows up again in three <laughs> <laughs> You know, one of the things I noticed with the, the Spider-Man funeral, and then you guys had, had mentioned the Fantastic Four similar, it, both these immediately made me think of, uh, I think it was season six in Buffy the Vampire Slayer when her mom dies. Yes. In the first 20, 30 minutes of the episode, not a single word is spoken. Just a great, that's just a great episode. God, yeah, I can't. I've only watched that episode once. I can't watch it. It's, it is yeah, just it's, too powerful. I mean, yeah. It it bothers me. I can't watch it. It's yeah. a hard episode to watch. It, it, bothers me, it bothers me so much that I watched none of the series. That's how I've got that I just, season on DVD and we, we go through and we watch that season. And when we get to that episode, we skip it. Do you really? Wow. Yeah, because it just it is just too powerful. Yeah, Joyce dying is a a very very depressing episode, and it does and for a guy like Joss Whedon who's who made his bed bread and butter on on dialogue and witty banter back and forth. Having twenty thirty minutes of silence is just yeah. gut wrenching. It's it, and there's no soundtrack to it. It's just no music. You know, yeah, there's no, no music to it, and it's the the you know the body's still in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a hard episode to watch. And the other thing I noticed in this, there is a ad about halfway back for this Marvel classic Avengers Under Siege. Mm-hmm. I love that storyline. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys read it when it first came out, but uh, God, speaking of powerful, when Hercules almost dies, 
I kind of got choked up for that. Ah, you know, I didn't wasn't a Hercules fan, but man, it's like six of them spent like an hour beating him half to death. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was a great issue of uh, Spider-Man. I can't wait for the next one. You know, it's been great. You know, it's a it's an every other week book, but they've been coming out so fast. It's almost like it's a weekly book. So next week, I see that DC has an ass ton of Batman books out. So, you know, you can expect that Paul will probably want to talk about some of that crap. Um, <laughs> you got Batman Beyond number three, Batman Confidential number 54, Batman Streets of Gotham. Lots of Batman. Plus, it looks like a couple of trades. So, pardon? To traitors. <laughs> so, if Paul's back, does that mean no pancakes next week? That will mean no pancakes yeah, next throw week. Pancake mix ah, I mean, you're going to get the return of the Echo and store brand Pop Tarts. <laughs> that sounds horrible, horrible, horrible. Well, Paul has assured me that he will fix his his mic problem, and he'll be back with us sans echo next week. Uh, well, on that note, note yeah, <laughs> there's another echo. Jesus. <laughs> Bye, Thanks, guys. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. I'm a gay, bisexual, hermaphrodite lover.